0: Our scripture reading this morning is Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things, So that your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed his transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, for he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. As for man... His days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones, who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants, who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O my soul.
1: Alright, so we're going to continue our trek. Three three weeks that we're going to spend in the Psalms. Last week we looked at Psalm 13, which is a psalm of lament. This week we're going to change gears quite drastically and look at Psalm 103, which is a psalm of praise. Um, So uh, without further ado, let me pray for us and then we'll get to work. Father in heaven, we do bless you. We praise you. And we're thankful for your steadfast love in our lives. And I just pray you would be honored by this sermon. And I pray that you would feed your people and shape our faith. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. True or false? The sequel, we're talking movies now, a sequel of a movie is usually not as good as the original. I'll take that as a true. Some of you might say, well, false. No, they're never as good as the original. True. The sequels usually are never as good as the original. There might be a few exceptions here and there. I'm going to argue that the sequels in the Psalms, that paradigm doesn't hold up. That the sequels are better than the original. Last week we talked about the Psalms fitting in one of three categories Psalms of orientation, when life is as it should be, Psalms of disorientation, when nothing seems right, darkness. And lamentation is the response of praise and faith. And then this week we're going to talk about psalms of reorientation. So orientation, disorientation, reorientation. This kind of summarizes the life of faith for, the, for believers. Life is either going as it should be, or all of a sudden the wheels just come off, right? And then God uses that to put you back together and reorient you and give you new orientation in him and bring you to a deeper, more profound praise of his holy name. So in that sense, Psalm 103 is as a sequel to Psalm Psalm 13. Now I'm not saying that Psalm 103 and Psalm 13 are connected, that Psalm 103 is Psalm 13 part two. That's not what I'm saying. They might be very connected, but I'm saying the general pattern is that lamentation and disorientation gives way to new orientation which responds in the psalm like 103 where there's praise and there's glory in God and blessing the Lord. And I want to argue just for a brief second here that this is indeed a psalm of reorientation, a psalm where David is found new orientation given to him by God. He clearly has some miles on him. It is clear that he has walked with God. He is aware of his sin. He's aware of God's mercy. He knows how small he is and how great God is. He sees that God is a father who's full of compassion. David has come to the end of his rope a time or two. And he has come to realize that God is bigger and more merciful than he could ever imagine. Now it seems clear that David has poured his guts out before the Lord from time to time. And clearly David knows and he delights in the fact that God knows him and that he knows God. He knows him and all of his weaknesses. God knows him and all of his sin and all of his failure, and yet he's come to the realization that God has not given up on him, that God still loves him with an everlasting love, that he is loved as a child from a compassionate father. David, I would argue was disoriented in psalm 13 and we find he is reoriented in god today in psalm 103 and today we get to see how it looks in david's life to be reoriented in god we see that he is anchored in the love of god his ballast is now in the deeper conviction that nothing can shake him loose from the everlasting love of his god David realizes that he has everything he needs and that his very deepest desires are all met in the everlasting love of God. So the song goes, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. And now David preaches to his soul at the beginning of the psalm, and if you notice, it escalates, and by the end, he's reaching into the heavens where he's summoning the angels and the hosts of God in all places of his dominion to bless the Lord, O my soul. You see the progression as the psalm moves on from beginning to end. Okay, so this psalm is largely about God's character and his benefits. However, David highlights four actions that must be taken by believers in order for these benefits to be realized. So let me go through these four actions that David highlights. Number one, he tells his people, do not forget the benefits of God. Don't forget his benefits. He probably says that because he realizes this in himself and he knows this about you. You're quick to forget all the benefits of God. Now, one of the most important and practical aspects of our faith in God is remembering the works of God. In fact, you could argue that this psalm is David stirring his emotion into worship by way of reminder, reminding himself of God's excellence and his glory. In Psalm 77, 10 through 12, we see the psalmist work his way out of a dark time through the discipline of remembering. Charles Spurgeon called this the discipline of remembering. Psalm 77 says, then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Remember the deeds of the Lord. Don't forget, brothers and sisters, and don't refuse to fix your eyes on the truth of God's character. When you want to look inwardly, discipline yourself to look outwardly at Him. Exercising faith, I would argue, and remembering the works of God are closely related. You wanna know how faith is exercised practically? Remember the works of God. It's a discipline. Number two, for the benefits of God to be realized, fear the Lord. There are three verses in this passage, in this psalm, um, where we are told that the benefits are only extended to those who fear the Lord. His steadfast love is towards those who fear him. Verses 11 and 17. And the Lord shows compassion on those who fear him. Verse 13. Now fearing God, this doesn't mean that we are scared of God the way that we might be scared of snakes or spiders or the way that maybe a prisoner would be scared of his tormentors. No, to be fearful of God, to fear God in the biblical sense is to have awe, awe and reverence for his holy character, right? It's to have awe and reverence for his holy character. And the fruits of this awe and this reverence in the fear of God moves one to an obedience of God and a desire to please him. How do you know you have the fear of the Lord in you? You have a desire to obey him and you have a desire to please him with your life. This doesn't mean that you obey him perfectly, but it means that your life is generally characterized by a desire to please him and a desire to obey him. When you are caught in sin and when you are confronted with your sin, you are quick to repent. I'm sorry. And I want to turn my way back to the Lord. That's the kind of fear that the Bible is talking about, biblical fear. And number three, keep covenant The benefits of the Lord are available to those who keep covenant. The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting in his righteousness on children's children to those who keep his covenant. Right? They're offered to those who are covenant keepers. Now this poses a bit of a problem. It poses a problem that Jesus Christ will eventually solve. And I'm talking from the perspective of Psalm 103, which is prior to the new covenant. You see, the problem is that we can't keep covenant. Israel is, I mean, the history of Israel really is, yes, we will keep the covenant. Oh, we, we didn't keep the covenant. So there's a problem here that is generated, and Jesus Christ solves this problem. Now, we may try to keep covenant perfectly, but we fail to do so. However, there is a new covenant. God offers a new covenant. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He offers the new covenant, which is given to us in Christ. So this covenant comes to us in Christ. And, okay, so this is an amazing covenant, as opposed to the old covenant. What's different about the old covenant from the new covenant? Well, the new covenant comes to us in Christ, which means that the new covenant is provided to us with a covenant keeper. Jesus, he keeps the covenant for us. And he, it gets even better yet. It's not only given to us with a covenant keeper, but it is given to us with a covenant keeper who has died and paid the price for covenant breakers. That's good news, brothers and sisters. We get the new covenant with a covenant keeper and one who paid the penalty for covenant breakers. So, in Christ, we are covenant keepers. We're counted as covenant keepers by the Almighty God if you have faith in Him. Here's what John Piper said about this What this covenant requires, then, of us is that we be united to Christ by the new birth and that we receive Christ as our Savior and Lord and the treasure of our lives. So, what does Psalm 103 require of you? What does it require of you to keep covenant? to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, to be born again and cling to him by faith. And that way, Christ's blood and righteousness count for us. Hallelujah. And number four, do his commandments. The steadfast love is from everlasting to everlasting, his righteousness on children's children, to those who keep covenant and those who remember to keep his commandments. Scripture tells us that those who worship God do so in word and in deed. 1 John three seventeen, And Jesus says in John 14, 21, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. So, in summary, faith in God requires people to remember the benefits of God, To fear God, to keep covenant with God, and to do his commandments. Now, let me remind you that the Psalms don't just provide information for us, although they do provide us with glorious information. The Psalms demonstrates how faith should actually feel, how faith should actually look in real life. The Psalms helps us to know how faith should look when we are oriented and when we are disoriented we lament, we bring that before the Lord. It gives us wonderful instruction. It's experiential. It goes beyond just a theological bullet point list. This is not a theological bullet point list. This is living an active faith, working itself out in real life. And this psalm helps us to understand what faith should look like and feel like When we have worked our way through, when God has brought our our way through a dark time, when we're reoriented on the Lord, the psalm begins and ends the same way. If you notice that, bless the Lord, O my soul, which means that that is kind of the point of the psalm. It starts and it ends. It's trying to make that the point. So overall, it's not trying to really build a theology of God, necessarily, as much as it's trying to say, this is what it looks like to worship this awesome God! To respond in a way like that. To bless the Lord simply means to speak well of him, to praise him, essentially. And Psalm 103 teaches us that the praise of God doesn't just come out of our mouths, but it comes from the depths of our soul. Our whole entire being. Bless the Lord, O oh, my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Brothers and sisters, we are beings who are created to worship, aren't we? When we sin, we do it with our whole being. And this is why Jesus connects our inner and our outer man when he says that when you look at a woman even with lustful intent in your heart, you've committed adultery. You're an entire being. When you sin, you don't just sin with your eye, you sin with your whole being. Robert Jones says that anger is a whole person active response. Anger doesn't just come out of our lips. It's not just what happens with our hands. It comes out of our souls, our whole entire being. And likewise, when we worship the Lord, and I would argue sin is just misguided worship, isn't it? We're just bowing down to another idol, and sin is the outworking of that. Sin is defective worship, David showing us what worship of the living God looks like. We are worshipers and when we worship God, it is our whole person. It is with our whole person, coming from the soul and it manifests itself, I would argue, at least in fearing God, keeping his covenant and doing his commands, remembering the works of the Lord. It comes out of our mouth, but it comes from the of our souls bless the lord oh my soul and all that is within me bless his holy name that is the proper response when you see a god as glorious as our god in some ways if you think about it all of us struggle with this we're out of congruence isn't this true isn't the way that you feel about god from time to time at least simply out of congruence with how awesome he is? If we could have a better glimpse of the majesty of God, wouldn't, we, wouldn't our hearts be so much more enthralled with him than we, it is constantly or it is typically? Isn't there times when, quite frankly, you're so much more excited about other things and really, God, ah. Oh, So really, I think what this psalm is teaching us is bringing our souls and the depths of our being into congruence with the greatness and the majesty of what it really should look like if we worship the Lord. And we're on a a trajectory with this. There's tons of grace for us, but the reality is I think that, that there's calibration that needs to happen in a believer's life so that our souls and the way that we feel are in more congruence cong what's the word, kongaguri, is that a word even? My goodness, I'm stumbling around here, it's terrible. (laughs) With the reality of who God is. Okay, so we talked about what faith looks like. Let's talk about why. Why should faith look like this? Because of the benefits of the Lord. Now, I invite you to make a list of all the benefits that you can go through in Psalm 103 and point out. I'm sure you guys can find many. I'm gonna look at three. Again, that's four fingers. i got to work on this. Three. Did that last week. I wasn't planning that, by the way. Okay, number one, for God's sovereignty and his rule. This is one of the benefits of the Lord. God's sovereignty and his rule. Verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. All right, we are already told that God is our father in this psalm. Now, how many of you, when you were kids would brag about your dad. Did any of you guys brag about your dad or seen somebody or seen kids on the playground bragging about their dad? Yeah, okay. I was starting to wonder if I was the only one who had friends when I was a kid. (laughs) Kids brag about their dads. Kids have an inexplicable awareness that their identity is connected to their dad. And therefore, to brag about your dad is to brag about yourself. Isn't that right? My dad is bigger than your dad. My dad's older than your dad. Isn't that funny when you were a kid, you just associated greatness with numbers? My dad's 38. Well, I was 42. 52. 70. (laughs) Higher number, greater. My dad's bigger, my dad's stronger. My dad captured a unicorn. My dad invented unicorns. My dad can talk for an hour about any given subject. My dad can talk for three hours. He doesn't even need a subject to be given. Actually, he said that about his mom. So I've made some pretty outlandish claims about my dad, and I've heard some outlandish claims, but I've never pulled out, or I've never heard pulled out, my dad established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Couldn't you just hear the boys on the playground? (gasps) I got nothing, (laughs) you win, that's the reality, if God is your father, if he is your God, then he is your father, and therefore, your father has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom does rule over all, hallelujah, hallelujah, That's real for you. You're his child, which means you have access to the highest place. You're protected by the highest ruling authority on heaven and earth. I don't even need to go into all of the benefits that come from this. I'm sure you can see how this would be beneficial for you, his children. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Number two, God's mercy We see this woven throughout the entire Psalm. Verse three, he forgives our iniquities, all our iniquities. He heals all of our diseases, which I think is referring to spiritual diseases such as anxiety, depression, envy, which we'll talk about next week. He redeems our life from the pit. Now many of these benefits are owing to the fact that God removes our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. That instead of repaying us according to our sins and what they really deserve, instead he satisfies us with good so that our youth is renewed like the eagle's. The Lord truly is merciful and gracious. He is slow to anger and he is abounding in steadfast love. He shows compassion like a a perfect heavenly father would show compassion. He knows his people and he remembers that you are dust. And why? Because he is merciful. He could crush us but instead he was pleased to crush his son for us so that all who put their trust in Jesus experience only the kindness of God when really that is undeserved instead of his wrath, which is fully deserved by us. Number three, we looked at God's sovereignty, his rule. We looked at God's mercy, God's steadfast love, the benefit of God's steadfast love. We see this mentioned in three different verses. Now we're told in verse three that God crowns his people with steadfast love and mercy. Verse 11 says that God's steadfast love is as high and as great as the heavens are above the earth. In verse 17 we learn that the Lord's steadfast love is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. Now verse 17 is the one I want to focus on for just a minute here because it's, and I want to point out that it's clearly connected to verses 15 and 16. And this is, a, this is an odd part of the psalm, I think. If you look closely, he says, as for man, verse 15, as for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord, on the other hand, is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. Now, can we agree that this is a psalm of thanksgiving? It has an upward tone, an upward beat. It's positive. It's going upward. Hooray. Can you hear the band playing? Everyone's cheerful. And then all of a sudden he points out, and man, they're like grass. They're going to wither away. And they're going to be forgotten. Hooray. Hallelujah. That's great. Praise the Lord. Do you see how this kind of sounds like you know a kid playing a piano or somebody playing a piano and they're going along really good and all of a sudden they strike the chord. just It just doesn't fit. It kind of seems like that. At least I could say that this really wouldn't be written by a secular humanist. This would not be written by a secular humanist. At least not in a praise or celebration. We wouldn't point to the fact that, hey, you know what? you're a vapor. You're going to be gone just like that and you won't be forgotten or you won't be remembered. Hallelujah! Don't you feel good about yourself? That'll build your self-esteem. Do you see how this is completely antithetical? We see the collision of the biblical worldview on what it means to be a person and how I find happiness and what the secular humanistic worldview would say? about what we need to know about our self-esteem and all of that? There's something really fascinating here. How can David rejoice in the fact that he's a flower of the field that's gonna be gone? I'll tell you, I think this is how. He rejoices because he comes to realize that the glory of God's steadfast love is far more satisfying a thing and far more securing reality to his existence that the most important thing that he could say about himself is that God's steadfast love is from everlasting to everlasting on me. David is free from himself, from having to prove his worth or make a name for himself. Instead, David has come to bask in the wonder of finding his identity in something that is so much greater than he could ever fathom and that is God's steadfast love from everlasting to everlasting. David truly has come to the edge of the Grand Canyon and he's completely lost himself in the magnitude of God's glory. Jesus says that losing yourself is the key to finding yourself. It's completely counterintuitive. It's the upside-down kingdom that we talk about. You want to find yourself? Lose yourself. And I think what David is saying here, what he's pointing at, is that there is a key way to finding true happiness, true joy in life true identity that really means something and it's so counterintuitive the way that you find everlasting value is to realize I'm a flower of the field but God he's my God and he loves me and he's an everlasting God he's completely identified by the love of God God's people find their identity not in what they do or what they didn't do, although these things do factor into our experience. They don't want to minimize that. They do factor into our experience, but ultimately they are not identified by what they do or what they don't do. They're not identified by their failures or their successes, not in their achievements or accolades, but their identity is in the God that they worship the God who is so great and so loving that it really isn't a duty to worship him as much as it is the natural overflow of knowing him and being known by him. Okay, so let me conclude. I've got a couple of concluding thoughts here. Well, one. One main concluding thought, and I want to talk about our children. All right? Because this passage talks about his everlasting love, from generation to generation in his righteousness to children's children. And I think that this psalm, at least it did this for me in my preparation. It gave me a completely new perspective on how I should be thinking about my own kids and how we as a church should be thinking about the next generation. Our lives are momentary. Yet, we as a church, we have many children here Aren't you thankful for that? Hallelujah, we have kids here. And I'm not just talking about parents who have kids. I'm talking about this church who has the sacred stewardship of children, of the next generation. And we're thankful because, I'm going to argue, they can outlive us. Our kids can outlive us. I'm a flower, I'm fading away. Our kids are flowers and they're fading away too. They're just behind us. So here's, the, here's, the, here's, here's what I'm getting at here. I think that one of the most sacred stewardships that the church has is how we proclaim the gospel to the next generation. Because kids will outlive us and kids will be the means by which the everlasting and steadfast love of the Lord is represented on this earth and made known on this earth from generation to generation. Do we think about our kids that way? That we can pass on our faith to them and God's steadfast love can be known on the earth through them. Oh, that our kids would worship the Lord. That they would be able to say from their hearts, bless the Lord, oh my soul. I think the way that a church deals with their kids tells them something very important about how they worship their God. The value that they place on presenting the steadfast love of the Lord to the next generation shares something about what they really think about the love of God. May the love of God endure from generation to generation. And may the one thing that we accomplish with the next generation is that we pass on this faith to them. Oh, may we not hide it from them. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name, that our kids will see us worshiping God, that they'll see their Sunday school teacher sitting on the carpet blessing the Lord, praising him, lifting him high. That they would tell the next generation about the steadfast love of the Lord. That they would see that in you. What a treasure that is. May small group leaders and community group leaders, community groups, bless the Lord and all that's within you. Bless his holy name when you gather together Study the Bible and serve. Women's ministry, men's ministry, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that's within me. As you dream about how you minister to men and minister to women, and how you engender biblical manhood and womanhood in the next generation. One of the most important things that this church could give itself to. Parents. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Dear children, see you bless God. When you see a beautiful sunset, do you point that out? Isn't God beautiful? Oh, the handiwork of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. Do you see that? Do you see the almighty God in that? When you eat your food and you remind your kids, God meets our needs and he is good. You're blessing the Lord. When you sin against your kids and you say to them, please forgive me. I need Jesus too. I'm the foremost of sinners. Forgive me. I'm sorry for sinning against you and misrepresenting our wonderful heavenly Father to you. That is not God. That's me sinning. Please forgive me. And I will promise to never shame you like that again. That is blessing the Lord, oh my soul. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. In the coming generation, in all places of his dominion, bless the Lord. O oh, my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I, just, I pray that you would work in our hearts. I pray that you would encourage us, Lord, with your word, and I pray that you would bring our souls into congruence, Lord God, with the magnitude of your glory. We need your help in this but we need your grace to remember and fix our eyes on your benefits. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.